This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host, Nabil Mahmood from Austin, Texas. This is your co-host, Philip Koblenz, also live at Data Center World in Austin, Texas. This is Bill Clayman, also live from Texas. I, I think I referred to you the last time we saw you as the data center diva because of your MC duties and just the unbelievable crowds that follow you whenever you walk through the halls at Data Center World. But today you are going to be known as the first ever two-time Top. guest of, uh, of the Nomad Futures podcast. Thank you so much for joining. What an absolute honor. I'm sitting, I'm sitting literally, I know you can't see people listening between these two amazing gentlemen, human beings who perhaps just out of the kindness of the heart invited me back here to talk to them. So thank you. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just that we like you, Bill. It's just like, you know, we, we love you. I appreciate it. All right. So, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And mm-hmm. uh, what we talked about last time, particularly from your background, from being from Ukraine, you know, we wanted to bring this forth to our audience and, and share what you, what you've been going through, what your family and friends have been going through. So do you mind, you know, sharing the state of the union from what the heck is going on, Bill? My God, what is going on? First of all, yes, it's, it's, it's a pretty insane time right now. So a, a lot of folks may know this, but some they may not, obviously for all the wonderful listeners of this, of this amazing Nomad Futures podcast, you know, that I wasn't born here uh, in America. I was born in Kiev, Ukraine and came to the United States in the early 90s. Uh, and as you can guess, Bill is not very Slavic. My name is Vitali Wachimpriadna. It's nice to meet you. That's my, my real name. And when we when we came to America, it was, I made this joke last See, well. Diva, Bill is his stage name. I, it is a stage name. It is, it's, you know what? People made me sound like an herbal supplement. And I remember I said this last time, <laughs> take some vitally in the morning. So my mom asked an American friend, what does Vitali sound like? William? All right, cool. Let's just change it. So, so we did that. The, what, what is going on? It's, it's amazing to have had this conversation now several times and it, it's hard to have this conversation, but on the request of the people who are my friends and family in, in Ukraine, they asked that we keep talking about this because, and I just told these guys is that they have this, this fear that the world's going to forget about them and they're scared about that, that their voices will get lost. So it's not great. We have we have friends in Kiev, Lviv, and, and Odessa, and we check in on them pretty much regularly throughout the day when when they're not in, in in asleep. And probably the 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 most challenging parts are during the day here in the United States when it's night over there, and you just sort of wait until like it's 11 p.m. or midnight, and you just kind of quickly text them, "Hey, you're asleep? Are you okay?" And the, the worst things are when they send you a message when you know it's nighttime. Like happened recently, our my friend Olga. She just wanted to chat because the air raid sirens were going off and there's bombs in the distance. And, and, you know, she sent me a picture of her and her mom sitting between two apartments safe. And they try to make this little, little spot, you know, just this morning, just this morning, I'll show you guys this picture. She, she sent me a picture of, of toilet paper and she was happy about it. You know, like we were able to go out and get, and get toilet paper. Now for, for people here in America who experienced the pandemic, we had a run on toilet paper, but in Ukraine, it's, it's a little bit of a different circumstance or just going to the store. To it wasn't buy, like, it wasn't life-threatening no. to go buy toilet paper. No, no. Or just being able to go to the grocery store and buy chicken so you can make chicken soup. And, and, and this is what they're telling me, like, just force yourself to eat just because you're not hungry or wait for your son 
Sasha, for example, another friend of ours, her name is Ludash, to wait for him to come back from the Ukrainian Territorial Defense Force or just to hear from him from one night. It's hard. The Ukrainian people are extraordinarily brave and fierce and, and stubborn. Many of them, even including women, I, I, literally their words to me were, we made a decision after the first week this started that we're going to stay. We're going to stay to the end and we're not going anywhere. We're going to defend this city if we have to. And these are women. Yeah, they, they're going to pick up the rifle. They're going to get their Molotov cocktails. But let me let me answer your question from a high level. As of this as of this recording, they have retaken Irpin, which is just north, northwest of, of the city, Kiev. They're starting to retake more territory. The Ukrainians are. The Ukrainians are. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Phil. And as, as Vladimir Putin, I'm using air quotes, has, quote, completed his his mission out there, they're going to start to shift the focus on the Donbass region, which is Donetsk and Luhansk over on the east side of Ukraine and probably closer to the south and Melitopol and um, a few other of those locations. And it's challenging because, you know, Mariupol has been compared to now the modern day Aleppo from 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 Syria. And it's tragic. It's it's truly, truly, truly tragic. The loss of life, how challenging it is, the blockades of people trying to evacuate. That's where the real, real heartache. So, so the update is that Russia is not winning and they are suffering extraordinary losses. If we even take the numbers from NATO and the EU, forget Ukraine for a second, you're talking about a Russian campaign that has seen more losses in a month than they did when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan over the course of a freaking decade. They're going to continue to push. International support is exceedingly helpful. I cannot stress this enough. The military and humanitarian aid that's coming into the country is is just is just absolutely critical. So the state of the union or the state of the of the situation, I guess, is that they will continue to fight. They will continue to support their people. President Volodymyr, Volodymyr Zelensky is is not going to give up a centimeter of land, but he is ready to discuss talks about neutrality. Yeah, so we're at. How long do you think this would potentially last? Well, it was supposed to last three days, right? And um, we just talked about this earlier. This was supposed to last three days and much of the supplies and supply chain and the supply lines were really designed to last three days. How long could this go? Realistically, you know, the Russian troops, part of the reason they're pulling back is because they've run out of supplies, they've run out of fuel, they've run out of food. There was a, a publication that said that 50% of an entire unit had to be sent back because they, have, they had frostbite. These tanks in a, in a Ukrainian winter become refrigerators very fast when the fuel runs out. I, I think this could go potentially into summer, maybe maybe midsummer. I, I don't know. I think right now the landscape of Ukraine is going to be changing where more of the troops are going to leave the Kiev area and they're going to try and concentrate their efforts on, on eastern Ukraine. The challenge there is that they're getting consistent bombardments from within Russia. So they need more air defense. They need more surface-to-air missiles. They'll need more batteries that can protect the city because although they can... Even even Mariupol right now, where Russians are starting to go in, they're still doing what what's called a circular defense around the city, trying to trying to contain the situation. They're getting constant air raids and bombardments. That's actually been the dominant force of how Russia's been trying to fight because they completely understand that they are outmatched on the ground. That's that's going to be challenging as consistent incursions come from within Russia. Into and it seems like desperation, right, from from their end. Obviously, you know, it's when like a kid that doesn't get what they want, they just bang, you know, bang, bang their feet. You have a you have, you have a young, young child, right? They bang their feet. They have a temper tantrum and their temper tantrum, unfortunately, and tragically is in the form of these, you know, indiscriminate bombings because they realize they can't take down the military and they're targeting 
you know, civilian areas in the most tragic and I mean, unnecessary, there's, there needs to be a new language created to talk about how, how upsetting this entire situation. And I do have a question, which is, look, uh, what came up uh, in our last podcast was our kinship is that my mother was born in Lubb. So uh, I'm, I'm not nearly as, as proficient you linguistically because they, they left before, before I could be born is, so we know that Ukrainians are stubborn, that, that, you know, it's like the, the, the world does not exist outside of, of, of themselves. And in, in, in many cases, when you, when you deal with them personally, and I think the world has got a crash course on Ukrainian bravery, but is there anything about the reaction, the, anything about, you know, how they've performed thus far that has surprised you? I'm going to reference an article from The Atlantic, and uh, what I'm going to try to do is, is in the notes of this podcast, I'm going to try and include that article because it's, it's, it's very, very well written. Obviously, a lot of this has surprised me. I, I think I've always known the resiliency and bravery of the Ukrainian people. That that wasn't surprising. And, and you know, I, I didn't, I, I honestly thought that they were going to go into Kiev and that they were going to be rained upon with Molotov cocktails on every block from every building. Which probably would have been. I mean, you saw that you saw that woman that uh, like knocked the drone out of the sky with a jar of pickles. With a jar of pickles, <laughs> literally threw a jar of pickles. I, how do you? How do you? What do you oh remember God. that? Oh my God! Jar of pickles. Jar I mean, pickles. it's 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 funny in a sense, and I, I actually like what you said, Phil, and it's it 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 struck a note with me. Trying to find the words to describe this, I as a native Ukrainian have challenges who. I speak English, obviously, have challenges describing what this feels like. And to the listeners of this podcast, I'm I'm talking to you right now. I'm with you right now, but half of my brain is is on the other part of the world thinking about friends and and what they're potentially going through. But let me answer your, your question, Phil. Uh, what anything surprised me? The article from The Atlantic states that during the time after Crimea and certainly in the recent past, uh, the American military, and I actually know a few friends that did this, went into uh, um, a military friends that went into Ukraine to retrain the uh, Ukrainian army. Now, I'll tell you why that's important in a second. They trained to be uh, more dependent, more resourceful and operate as individual units. So the command and control structure wasn't this centralized archetype. Rather, it was held in power within each individual unit that could operate independently. What the Russians are doing is this old school, just old school, just, this is hierarchy, hundreds of years old, same damn thing. This one central command and structure that when that three day war, the dickhead with all the medals, exactly with all the medals, all the clinking, right? When that three day war failed, that central command and structure, command, um, command and control structure failed right along with them. Their soldiers, they're told where to go. And when they get there, they're told where to go next. They're incapable of operating independently. They're incapable of making their own decisions. It's a part of the reason that they're, they take entire tank columns, these modernized tanks that Ukrainians couldn't even, they don't even have any of those. They park them, clump together in the middle of a street and just sit until Ukrainian artillery pops several of them out and then they have to retreat and leave. It's, it's, the, it's the fighting style and the mentality that I've seen between what the Ukrainians are doing as individually highly uh, effective individual units, military units versus a, a legacy architecture of war. It seems like how you would do it if you respected your troops, like you if you respected them, you would think them capable enough 
to be able to manage themselves. There's not a lot of respect. The morale, obviously, within the Russian. I, I mean, after a, a half of a battalion was wiped out, a tank commander ran over his commanding officer and either he, he, I believe, either severed his legs or he killed. I mean, look at this. Russians are shooting themselves in the legs with they're finding Ukrainian ammunition right. to shoot themselves in the legs or they'll leave their vehicles running on the middle of a highway. You're seeing these, you know, facetious and using videos of, of, you know, Ukrainian tractors using agricultural gear to tow away battery systems and tanks. That's happening and they're brand new and they're just leaving them on the side of the road. It's the effectiveness of the Ukrainian army and the fact that they have everything and nothing to lose versus a completely disjointed, modernized, good for you, Russia, modernized military that is... That's incapable. Their their jets, Phil and Abil, their jets are brand new, and yet they fly like in singles or doubles because their pilots are incapable of flying complex missions. They're shooting them out of the sky in MiG twenty nines. I'm 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 in my thirties, and these jets are older than I am, and they're flying like right over the houses, looking up and just shooting down these airplanes. It's it's just extraordinary. Thanks for reminding me that you're in your thirties. So based on that, why wouldn't Russia be pulling back? Well, you said that it could go till the summer. It's unsustainable. It's just not sustainable. And it, you just you just can't keep losing soldiers. They have made no ground. They are unable to move into Kiev. Their missile failure rate is 60%. 60% of their missiles fail. There was one instance where they shot 40 missiles and, and only, I think, six hit. But even in that sense, it's six too many. They're, they're going to continue to try and take the Donbass region because Putin believes that there is a genocide happening of, of the Russian culture, I guess, in those regions. But I, I don't feel that's happening. There's no war against the Russian Ling, but he's going to try and concentrate his efforts on, on the eastern part of Ukraine. And they're pulling back, Nabil, because they, they're just going to die. They're all going to die north of Kiev and they're not going to make any progress. And they're already pulling in reserves from other parts of Russia just to replenish their losses. You know, look at the kind of companies that have left. The response from a global scale, I'm going to be honest with, with both of you and everybody listening, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't. But it's been massive. The runs on sugar, the crash of the ruble, the long lines at the ATMs in Russia, the complete neutering of a free and independent media source in all of Russia is just extraordinary. I'm sure we're going to get to the propaganda question. Before we get into the propaganda question, I'm just curious. You went through difficult times as well. Mm -hmm. You were in the camps, you moved to America to have a passport or, or anything like yep. that. It's it's difficult to compare pain and experiences, but if you were to, how would you define that? When we fled, it was still Soviet times. Just It was just as the collapse was happening and they took our passports and they ripped them up. So. That time that Putin is trying to get back to. Right. Well, the, the time, that, the time that, thank you, Phil. Yeah, the time that he's trying to get back to, they tore up our passports and we became refugees, stateless refugees. And the similarities are as follows. We had nothing but the clothes on our back, a couple of backpacks, a few suitcases. I had a couple of toys. That's it. That's it. That's similar. Some of the methods that we took to get out were similar. The fact that we just had nothing, we had to live in European states, first in Austria and then in Italy for a little while. That's similar to what these guys are going through, what, to what these refugees are going through. What the biggest difference is we didn't have bombs flying. We didn't have, we didn't have bullets flying at us. We didn't have the threat of a train getting shot at. We didn't have a threat of an airplane 
that, you know, some of these refugees were flying out of that, that it was going to be shot down. It was extraordinarily difficult. And we, we follow many of the same routes that we did in, in, in the early 90s that these, these refugees are doing. But my goodness, what they're experiencing now. And I, I, I want to tell you that I can't diminish what I went through and the thousands of refugees went through. It was hard. But like what these people are going through, my brother was, was on the border of, of Poland and Ukraine, working with the Polish army for a few weeks. Just recently. Just recently, just recently. He just got back maybe a week ago or so, a week and a half. And he went there and he specifically started to work with refugees coming across the border. And while he was there, my goal was to contact as many people as I possibly could, friends, family, anybody, friends of friends. I, I told so many folks that my brother was there, tell your family to get in contact with me. I'll tell them how to get to the border. There's, he'll help you translate. He'll help you with documents. He'll take you to Krakow or Warsaw to get you on a train, to get you into, into other parts of Europe. And so we were able to convince some, but as we talked about, you know, Ukrainians are very stubborn and, and brave and many, even women just, just wanted to stay. But the stories that my brother told me were unlike what I had experienced. When we lived in Italy, for example, we experienced much of the same kindness that right now many of the refugees from Ukraine are experiencing. We were given food, medicine, shelter. We had nothing we were provided for by our European neighbors. My brother was on the border and, and he, this young mother and this kid go up to him and they just arrived and, and the little, the kid was, was, he's just saying, I'm, I'm hungry. And my brother's like, sure. Yeah, here, here's, here's some food. And, and they're like, we don't have any money to pay you with. And he just like, he froze. He's like, do you not know this is all, this is all for you. This is all for you. Please just eat something. And a little while later, he's, you know, a little kid's looking at some candy and he's like, do you want some candy? And the kid's like, I don't have any money. And again, he's just like, these people are so humble and so grateful just to get out of war zone. And so Javi just brought this candy over this kid. He's like, please just, just eat it. Or this little girl, her name is Dasha. She's from Dnipro. And she was just telling my brother how she got on a train and it was full and they had to stand for like the entire ride. And she climbed up on the rafters and hid in the rafters, just kind of sat crouched and she showed how she was sitting. And, and she made it to Lvov and then they made it across the border and they had to stand for hours and they moved slowly and they were, they were hungry and they were tired. And then they got to the refugee center, which was a converted school that my brother was working at. And, and, and the last thing my brother said to her, holding back tears, he was just like, it's going to be okay, little one. And she's like, I hope so. And that's what all the kids have been saying is like, I just, I just hope it's going to be okay. What's, what's keeping all of your friends and family back there? Isn't. It's something that they should consider in, in going through the process of getting out of there. It's your country, you know, the closest thing, I, I don't know how to compare it. Like if somebody's listening to this and you're in the military, right, you, you'd stay until the very end to defend your country, like America, that's that it's the pride and it's, 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 it's your, it's your home. You, where are you going to go? And, and what you're going to see your home. Vladimir Zelensky won the election because he was, he was not corrupt. He was not a politician. He was not Putin's, you know, puppet which is part of the reason this entire war is happening is because Zelensky, you know. And never discount a sense of humor. He's never, funny. never. Damn he did, funny. He did Kavan, which we talked about in the last episode, something my brother and I did. And by the way, that entire team of people is just helping out so much. I got a dear friend, Andrei Kogolovsky. I hope you're listening to this. I'll share this episode with you, buddy. He's sending out like tactical gear, humanitarian gear. And, and these micro charities, we give money. We know who buys this gear. And then we see the pictures from the Ukrainian soldiers wearing this gear and then going out into action. To be able to answer your question, what's keeping them there? Bravery, stubbornness, and, and love of country. And even, even women 
are, they're not going, I mean, older, older women, like I said earlier, we have a friend and I'll send this to her. She might understand all of it. And, and she's like, I talk with my mom and uh, they live in Kiev and first week of the war, first week of the war, they made a decision together. We're going to stay here. We're going to, we're going to fight if we need to, but we're going to, we're going to stay here. This is our home. How, how do you, how do you convince them? How do you, you know, we had to do that. We had to, we had to imagine for a second, you have to sell your house for like $500 pack only what you can. You can't take any of your, any jewelry, nothing. You could just take a couple of rings, melt some stuff and get on a train. That's what we're telling him. It's 2022. And we're telling our friends and our family, pack up your things and leave because you might get bombed. And, and they're saying, nah, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to stay here and we're going to, we're going to see what they can do. And they're going to see what we can do. And that's, that's the conversations we're having. You know, the, uh, the ship gears for a second, a, a lot of us have seen like war torn countries over the course of the last 20 years. We've seen Syria, we've seen Yemen and Afghanistan and Iraq and, and all the tragedies there selfishly for me is like, I, so I don't want to admit this, but I identify so much with, you know, the people that you see in, in the Ukraine, it feels somewhat like it's happening to me. Like the, that is my mother. That is my grandmother. That is me potentially as a child over there. So, so part of it is that another part of it is we're all seeing it in real time. Right. This is a broadcast war where you're seeing the rubble, you're seeing the bombs hit, you're seeing the, the, the journalists all there with the air raids happening behind them. And how much do you think that is changing? Like, how is that impacting the world's response to this in a way that you just don't have, you didn't have that type of insight insight into Aleppo or, or some of those other tragic areas? What you're mentioning right now is an extraordinary fact in our digitally connected world. This is a war of data. This is a war of digital information. This is a war fought on TikTok and Twitter and, and videos. Uh, Telegram. Telegram, thank you. Elon Musk sending Starlink over there. You know, for those people who think that's like a trivial thing, it's not, it's not trivial, please. It's not trivial. You know, my recommendation, this is what I've told to anybody in Ukraine, do not make those satellite dishes visible in your home. Do not hide them. If you can, you might get a worse signal. Do not let those be targets for, for drones or anything. But, but that kind of technology has, has been exceedingly helpful to keep the world connected. This is an information age war beyond, I think, anything else. And you've got a lot of people in Ukraine who know how to use technology. That has shifted a lot of the paradigms. That's made it much more difficult for Vladimir Putin's propaganda machine. Outside of Russia. Outside of Russia, yeah. at least. But even outside of Russia, Phil, we were just talking about this. And, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But I, 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 families are being torn apart. Families are being torn apart because of, of this extraordinary Russian propaganda machine. And even here in the United States, they listen to like, you know, they read Lienta.ru. They read, they look at channel one from, from the streaming software service called TV Teka. And, and, and they listen, they listen to this just absolutely extraordinary Russian propaganda where, where they make Vladimir Putin look like a saint. There was a segment that I listened to. Specifically, I sat quietly that I listened to. When they played Vladimir Putin doing that big rally in front of all those people wearing a fur coat, it was $5,000 or was it a fur coat? It was, it was an expensive coat. And, and in that segment, they played him as this deity, this, this godlike figure quoting the Bible to justify his war. 
And I'm, I'm looking at, at this person listening to this and they're like, yeah, yeah, that's right. He, that that's good. And he's doing this. And, and even it just, it is this, this propaganda you can hear it in my voice is, is just, it's just infuriating. It's, it's so difficult to believe. Do you think there's a generational gap? I mean, the, the, the older generation that's grown up with that propaganda and the older medium and the pundits, are they stuck in the old ways of uh, gathering information and analyzing versus the younger generation's got access to real-time information? Much of the challenge, and I, I kind of want everyone to hear this as well, many of the people who fled Soviet Ukraine have only known a Soviet Ukraine, whereas, you know, my brother has gone back several times and, and we know, me and my brother know of a free Ukraine, a democratic Ukraine. These people... Many of them are Ukrainians. All they know are the comforts of the Soviet Union, right? This one nation taking care of each other, communism, you know, and in and, and, and Russia was better to us than even communist Ukraine. That's how they're perceiving this, right? They, they don't understand the concept of what a free Ukraine might look like. And so they filter this information differently. And here in the United States, even so, yes, there's a generation that looks at this differently. But I, I, I applaud the children and the people out there that are able to convince others to look past this. I got my mom on Telegram. You know, my, my, my seven-year-old mom is on Telegram and she's just getting this, this completely different feed of, of, of live information from all over the country. So she's had her paradigm. But generational gaps, so I, I mean, absolutely. They listen to what makes them feel comfortable. They listen to, and I'm quoting what this person told me, I listen to what I feel I need to listen to. He said that to me in Russian. And that's, and that's really impactful because this person was saying, I'm going to listen to this Russian propaganda because that's what I feel I need to listen to. And, and you know, that's, it, it echoes things that we see here with, the, you know, the right wing, left wing kind of thing. And, and, you know, when you see something like a tragedy that's happening there, and you're arguing about like the definition of truth. Like you don't believe your lying eyes. Yeah. It's incredible to me that that is, is it's possible to like fall victim to not believing what you're seeing and, and being so cynical that you think that there's this huge conspiracy, you know, and, and, you know, people are staging their own deaths and people are staging these like unbelievably tragic circumstance a russian soldier was captured and the ukrainians gave him a chance to call his mother and the russian soldier explained to his mother what was going on and she's like no no that's not true ukraine if we wouldn't have done this ukraine would have invaded us well it's certainly difficult times and hard times so our heart uh, goes out to everybody in ukraine and it's a great story yeah i mean it's a, it's a look words words can't express it but this is a technology show. It is, but, but before before we shift, before we shift, really quickly, a lot of people ask like how they can help. Oh yeah, there's. The, I'm just going to give you two very simple things. Number one, everybody listening, I've uh, since the request at the request of my friends, my Facebook profile, which I usually keep private. You're welcome to follow me, Bill Clayman. If you send me a friend request, I'm sorry, I'm not accepted, but you're welcome to follow my account. I've been trying my best to post very regular updates that are firsthand accounts from different parts of the country. The other one is this, the office of President Zelensky recently published a website, help.gov.ua. And it's a very, very data-driven website that shows you where there are humanitarian corridors open, specifically what is needed by the Ukrainian people, how and where you can send it. 
So again, help.gov.ua, it's, it's nice. You know, there's a Ukrainian and there's an English side. I, I recommend people go there. Yeah, and yes. publish, we'll publish links to all those. Yes, thank uh, you. On, uh, uh, no, no question about it. So as this is a technology <laughs> podcast and, you know, we want to fully communicate the potential cascading effects of, of what's happening in, in the Ukraine, I don't think many people are aware of how much te technological innovation has not just been come to being by Ukrainians, but specifically out of the Ukraine. I don't think people realize that GitLab um, was formed and is based in the Ukraine. And and to me, like what one of the, the tragedies that I see that is not getting enough attention is like all of those brilliant future minds, those those children that are left orphaned, those, you know, folks that are are now gone that could have been, you know, so productive to humanity and 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 have had such a brilliant input that, you know, is has been generationally disrupted. And I just love to get, you know, your thoughts on 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 that. Prior to joining Switch, I worked at this company called EPAM Systems. And I on the record, I still feel that they are some of the most brilliant digital engineers I've ever had a chance to work with. However, the vast majority of their teams were split between Belarus. Ukraine. And we, I knew, know several Ukrainians still over there. And for those that don't know Git and GitHub, you know, from a DevOps perspective, that's like your, that's how you publish and, and work with code and work with libraries. So I, it's, it's, it's extremely critical part of the development and DevOps process. It's, 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 it's going to have extraordinary impacts on an entire generation I, I, I don't even know how this is going to be resolved. There's a lot of brilliant, smart people in Ukraine. You know, there's a really cool uh, website called, a uh, service called Grammarly, right? That yeah, Grammarly, yeah, they're, they're based out of Ukraine as well. And they're continuing to pay all of their people in Ukraine the same. Actually, I'm not sure if they're based out of there, but I know that more, like, many, many employees are out sure, there. Founded. Right. In the I think, I think you're right. Thank you, Phil. And um, they're continuing to pay their people out there. Just know that in Ukraine now, men between 16 and 60, I believe, can't leave the country. I mean, obviously, they're going to go into hiding. They're going to go to different spots. The, 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 the digital disruption, not in a good way, that's happening in Ukraine is going to be felt for some time. I don't think that there's going to be a brain drain in the traditional sense that maybe we experienced during the Soviet Union. People leaving. Right. I think people might be leaving out of Russia, for sure, because there's just no opportunities there forward. They replaced Instagram with Rossgram. <laughs> Rossgram. <laughs> I mean, they replaced McDonald's. They have like a sideways. Dadovanya, <laughs> Dadovanya, right? They, 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 that's. It's just they literally took the M, put it sideways, and put a line on there, and then and then like Rossgram was just absolutely ridiculous. They, it, it, just like Instagram, no features, no pictures, just tight. And it's just, it's just hilarious, right? It's, it's like, it's this, it's censored version of, censored version of this mock freedom, which is, is just absolutely insane. I feel strongly that given how much Ukraine is being seen in the world right now, I think that intelligence and that brain trust is going to return to the country. I think the suffering is going to be much more on the Russian side. So the time that we are talking about, I mean, you know, we, we will be what, six months into this whole thing. That's significantly damaging to the economy. Digital is potentially something that can recoup uh, a lot of it very quickly. Where do you think things are going to be once hopefully things start normalizing? You know, it's 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 probably silly of me to even assume that, you know, Russia is going to pay any sort of operations to fix any of this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it there. I feel that it's a bunch of mega yachts that'll probably be sold. Lots I'm not sure there's anybody that's buy them. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, or they're they're refusing to refuel them. That that's certainly the case. It's you know when this is over in in, in six months, I think there's going to be an extraordinary amount of rebuilding. I know the United Nations have created special funds specifically for Ukraine to rebuild. Please don't discount the fact that there's an extraordinary amount of humanitarian and, and military aid coming into Ukraine. I think after this war is done, there's going to be a lot of reconstruction happening. You know, good chance that Ukraine will probably join the EU, maybe not NATO, but certainly part of the EU. The response from Europe has been really positive in the sense that I think the European nations will help Ukraine rebuild. They don't want Russia anywhere near them. They want to make sure that Ukraine continues to be that strong stronghold. Even right now, we're seeing Ukraine fight Russia, the world fight Russia, but using Ukrainian hands to do it. I, I feel I feel that over those over those few months, hopefully when this is all over and hopefully when, you know, Ukraine is able to get back all of its land contested and annexed illegally, that they will focus on rebuilding the nation, making themselves stronger. This, that we've never seen this amount of national unity, global unity, I think, with a very clear good guy and a bad guy. I, I, I was much more fearful in the beginning when this all happened. Now I feel better, maybe a little bit better. Now I'm not, I'm not gonna say I'm, I'm, I'm jovial or anything, but like I think in the near future when this is over, uh, the world will come together and Ukraine will continue to show its strength and, and rebuild. Do you, do you think there's any way, this is not a technical question at all, but do you think there's any way this thing ends and and someone like Putin can stay in power? I mean, is it, uh, how could that possibly be? And what is it? Our president said, for God's sakes, this man mm -hmm. cannot remain in power. Right. You know what? And then they walked it back and didn't walk it back. He didn't. No. Joe, Joe Biden said, I don't make, I make yeah. no apologies for what I said. Even I, you know what? Even in politics, I said that out of my my own personal self. And good, good. You meant it. You meant it. Don't yeah. walk it back. Will Putin remain in power? I sure hope not. Yeah, I, I just don't see how it's possible that I could. I mean, the second day this happened, I'm like, I don't know how this ends in a way where where he stays in power. I mean, this is just a it, it's it's such an obvious black and white scenario that you know it's it's just. It's it's crazy. He's ruined his country. He's ruined his country. That's and another that's another thing that is is incredibly. There was a there was an interview done with a woman in Moscow. It was a internet internet video, and and the guy jokingly asks, "Have you stocked up on sugar?" And she smiles at him like, "Sugar? Why? Sugar's not going to save me. You know, we have some really fun times ahead of us." And he's like, "Would you think this is going to get worse?" She's like, "Of course, this is going to get worse." When the tragedy tragedy in a country is the closing of a McDonald's and and that the loss of the freedoms doesn't matter, there's no future for a country. And that she was speaking about Ukraine. When the tragedies of the McDonald's converted to Dyadja Vanya and that these losses of complete freedoms within within Russia are just skimmed over, right. the future is there. It's uh it's 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 unbelievable. Anyway, what can I say? We love our our heartfelt feelings to everybody and you know, people that you're working with, your friends and family. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a very sad state, but in which for the best and please do follow the links so they'll be posted in the podcast brief and, you know, let's try to do something right. I mean, it's difficult times. I, I, I am totally baffled at this point in time from what you have shared, how you, you've talked. It's very, very heartfelt. Ladies and gentlemen. Vitaly. Vitaly Yurevich, big shout out to the wonderful teams uh, here at, at Data Center World and at Informa. Just earlier today on the keynote stage, they they did a, a donation to Ukraine. And, you know, I was there and they they mentioned me, obviously, but like, it's 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 not about me. It's, it was a $5,000 donation to UNICEF. So thank you to the teams at Informa um, and obviously Data Center World and to everybody listening, just as hard as it is, just, just please keep these conversations going. 
And at the very minimum, I know you're praying. I know your you know, thoughts and prayers are great. Thank you for that. Don't let the Ukrainian voices just get drowned out because Will Smith decided to slap somebody. Don't don't let that kind of media overtake what's really happening in this world. Don't let those voices be forgotten, you know, because, you know, us in the media and everybody, the, the focus shifts so quickly. That that was their, that's, that's literally one of their biggest fears. And I know it's hard for me to fathom that, but like, don't forget their voices and and keep sharing that and you know just just keep keep those people in your mind thank you mr clayman thank, thank you guys bill thank you this has been great nothing lasts forever markets will come back currencies will rebound businesses will go on and we'll all move on that could happen next week next month or next year I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.